Right, welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, a number of states in the U.S. will require 100% carbon-free electricity. I was just going down the list. New Mexico, Hawaii, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, New Jersey, and, of course, California. How is that possible? How are we going to kind of you know, run our, our lives and our economy without fossil fuels? Well, to the naysayers, I point out that 14% of California's power last year came from solar. California's the fifth biggest economy in the world. So renewable is going to be the biggest source of power. We can do it. The rest of the world can do it. But it's going to change the way we use energy in our homes. No natural gas for heat, domestic hot water, or cooking. How do we convert to an all-electric home? And convert affordably. Well, there's no substitute for experience when it comes to making these decisions and changing our electricity use. So I'm honored to have my friend Howard Wenger join us. Howard's an industry legend. He started his career at AstroPower, a pioneering solar module manufacturer. I've still got some AstroPower panels in my warehouse. Then he was the executive vice president of PowerLight, then became president and CEO of SunPower Systems. He's also a CalSA board member. He's behind a lot of the pioneering work in the solar industry. And he's a pioneer in electrifying his house. So he's going to explain how it can be really done affordably. So welcome to the show, Howard. Hey, it's great to be here, Barry. Thank you. All right. So let's just kick things off. What's the big picture? Why should we bother with whole house electrification? Well, I mean, yeah, let's let's start with the big picture. Uh, the big picture is we've got to uh, do something about climate change. And uh, as you mentioned in your opening remarks, that in the, just in the last 10 months, 15 U.S. states have either pledged to go 100% renewable and have actual legislation to do it, like California and Hawaii, and, or they have legislation that's going through their legislatures to make it a law. So there is this groundswell of activity, and the reason why is because I think for the first time, people are on board with the fact that they have to do something about greenhouse gas emissions. And the question is, then, how are we going to pull it off, as you mentioned? How are we going to make this happen? And I've had an epiphany just in the last couple of years. I've been in solar power for over 30 years, and that was my North Star, and still is to a degree. But my new North Star is a clean, all-electric future. And the reason for that is, if we can electrify transportation and electrify buildings and homes and make the grid 100% renewable, like these states are requiring, then we can handle 70% of the greenhouse gas problem. So it's a very simple equation. It's very simple math. All electric vehicles and buildings, no natural gas, all electric, powered by renewable energy, 70% of the problem solved. So we have a pathway. And I am really, really into this pathway. And one of the things that brought it home for me and I think going to your question is, I had solar power in my house since 1998, been spinning the meter backwards with net metering since then. And four years ago in 2015, I decided to remove the, all of the gas appliances from my house. And then in the last couple of years, I have uh, elect, only electric vehicles. And so my all of my energy is powered from the sun. And it's really easy to do. Um, the economics work. And we can go into the details as much as you want, but I'm really excited about it. And so for the last four years, I was just looking at my power bill prior to coming to the show because it just came in from PG&E, and it's $14, which is the minimum monthly charge. I actually have a $500 credit. 
Wow. That's rolling over. Yeah, and, and that's March. Right. Credits in, the, in March are pretty good. Credits in March are good. <laughs> and so I'm really thrilled with all of my energy for transportation, heating my home, cooling my home, everything in my home, lighting is coming from solar. So, and it's easy to do. So let's, let's talk about, I mean, we have both of a lot of experience in the solar industry and we saw how it, it was a struggle and then it started to grow and it's really taking off. And in my experience, things really start to take off when the economics are very favorable for customers. So it, it's, it's one thing to say, Hey, it's going to cost a lot of money to electrify your house, electrify your vehicle. But if the, if it's cost effective, it's, if it's cheaper, then it's just going to naturally take off. So how are we with the economics of this? It's unreal what's happened in solar power. The economics are good, and it's a great financial decision. What's happened in the last 10 years, the cost of solar power in bulk at a wholesale level has decreased 90%. So it's it's literally 10% of what it was today. It's 10% today of what it was 10 years ago in 2009. So we were selling solar power for $0.25 a kilowatt hour, at the bulk level for utility scale. Now it's below three cents a kilowatt hour. At the home level, I was doing the math on my system. It's about eight and a half cents a kilowatt hour for the solar produced. Now you you get charged by your utility in California. What is the average, Barry? 30 cents. 30 cents. Yeah. And you could produce it yourself for eight and a half cents? I know, I know. It's amazing. I think that's your answer. <laughs> you know, the economic, it doesn't take a genius to say, okay, my alternative is 30 cents. I can make it myself for eight or nine or 10 cents. Yeah. And if you finance it, it might be what, 12 cents or yeah, something? Yeah, it's a little bit. They take a 50% cut. That's fine. You know, it's yeah. still half the price. Still half the price. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's talk about some of these specific items. Like, you know, what did you do in your home to electrify it? Yeah. I mean, you really do is four things or five things. Let's let's count them off. The first thing is your heating and cooling can be done by the same device, a heat pump. So your cooling is already electric. What's cool is that a heat pump can do the heating and cooling of your house from one device. Okay, that's number one, and that's the biggest one. The second one is your hot water heater. Most people, or a lot of people, have gas-fired hot water heaters. You can get a heat pump water heater, or you can get electric resistance water heater, which is what I did, and I can tell you why I did it. I prefer a heat pump water heater. The third thing is your stove cooktop, your oven cooktop. Most people, gas. And that's a big, you know, there's consumer resistance on that, but you can get an induction stove, which closely mimics a gas stove. And then the fourth thing is a dryer. A lot of people have gas dryers. A lot of people have electric dryers. These four things are off the shelf, super easy to do. And then all of a sudden you have no natural gas in your house. It's quite amazing. So this show is really timely because I just moved to an older house and we're starting to kind of renovate it. I, I don't have solar on the roof yet. It's going to go in spring or summer. And so when we shop for a new washer dryer, you know, I got the electric dryer, the kind of LG electric dryer, right? So that's nice one. Job. And it was, you know, it's more expensive right now than gas, but then we're on the EV electric rate. 
So I have an electric vehicle. And on the EV electric rate, it's 13 cents a kilowatt hour between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. You know, we can dry clothes. It's really cheap. And on weekends, it's also very, very cheap in the afternoon. So we do that. I've got some resistance from my wife on converting to an electric stove because we've had an electric stove before. We, you know, she hates it. She really likes gas. But we're going to try out the induction thing when we kind of upgrade the kitchen. And I'm, I'm really looking at taking out the gas furnace and putting in a heat pump. And I'm thinking about putting in a split system heat pump. Mm-hmm. Which is so we'll run like one of one half of the one system upstairs where the bedrooms are and another system downstairs. Right. That sounds great. Yeah, so we're kind of going there. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the stove, my wife is also concerned. Now, one of the things that sold her was we went to an appliance store and all appliance stores and all of the big box retailers have these stoves. But the salesperson, what he said was, hey, if you're into baking, baking with an electric stove is actually better than with a gas stove because you have uniform heating in the oven. So, okay, that was a big plus. The cooktop is where the induction thing comes in. And basically what that does is you need to have iron pots. You do need to change your cookware. And it it creates this really incredible seal on the, the cooktop between the the cooking utensils and the stove. And it eliminates a bunch of problems with conventional electric stovetops, one of which was, you know how you have the whole stovetop is hot? Yeah. But with induction, it just... It's right there where the burner is, kind of like gas. It goes up that fast and down that fast. So you can be a gourmet cook with induction stovetop. That's what she doesn't like. I mean, obviously, getting new pots and pans, pain in the neck, but we can do that. But the fact that when you turn the electric off, it still stays too high. Start to scorch the food. So. But they figured that out yeah. with the induction. Induction works. All right, so Howard, you mentioned you have domestic hot water, but you have a electric-resistive heat, but you would prefer a heat pump hot water heater. Talk to me about that. Yeah, what what I learned is that I didn't even know that there was a, a heat pump for water heating, mm-hmm. number one. So I just had my HVAC guy, my heating, ventilating, air conditioning person that I've been working with for 30 years. I said, yeah, just put in an electric water heater. So he did. But what I learned since then is that you can actually have a heat pump water heater, which means it uses about one-fourth the amount of energy to heat the water. It's that much more efficient. And an electric resistance hot water heater also pulls about five or six kilowatts of power, whereas a heat pump only pulls about 1.2 kilowatts, okay. so like one-fifth. Yeah. And it's running more often, but at a much lower level, so it uses a lot less energy. That's it. I was I was kind of recommending our customers to stick with electric for a while until I started to see these heat pump hot water heaters at Home Depot in the aisle. You know, I'm buying right. crap from my house, and they're just selling them for twelve hundred bucks. So you probably double that to put it, have a contractor put it in. And yeah, that's probably what I'll do. The one disadvantage, and we were talking about Bill Brooks during our break. He's yeah. got a heat pump hot water heater. Yeah. He says the recovery time isn't as fast. So it takes like a little longer to heat up the water. So what Bill did is he just put a solar thermal system in to preheat the water. But, you know, as, as long as you're not like, as long as you don't have to like heat the water for a big family all the time, that's probably what I'm going to do is put one of those heat pump. Okay. Water yeah. That's in. the first time I've heard a negative about it. Heat yeah. pump. Yeah, maybe, and- maybe if you have like six people that are taking showers right behind, you know, in one after the other in the morning, yeah. you might have an issue. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But that's still the next thing for me to do. And I, I guess it's also probably going to, since my hot water heaters in the garage, it's probably going to cool my garage and dehumidify it. Yeah, it would. It will. 
Yes. <laughs> that, <laughs> Not by, of, I don't think it's going to be noticeable, though. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what kind of heat pump did you get for the heating and cooling in your house? And how were the economics on that? Okay. I use Carrier, and I've always used Carrier, but mm-hmm. Train, all of the majors have these heat pumps. And the economics are basically, it costs about 20%. Since it was four years ago, I actually went back and got my contracts out for in preparation for the show. I did my homework, Barry. <laughs> and anyways, um, it costs about 20% more than a conventional gas. If I was just to replace my furnace with another gas furnace and my electric AC with another conventional, this heat pump in total costs about 20% more or about $12,000 versus about $10,000, okay, if you went conventional. So it's a $2,000 delta. However, you're saving about $600 per year in energy costs. So the simple payback on that is like three and a half years. And then you're making money. Right. So, you know, it's a great investment. It's kind of a no-brainer. The other cool thing about a heat pump, I just remember something. It's a lot quieter than a forced air. If you have a normal forced air furnace... Do you feel like it blasts through? Yeah, sometimes? I hear it. I hear. You, I hear it in the morning when it turns on. You hear it in the morning when it turns on. You hear this too, but but the amount of air coming out is just quieter and it's on more, but it's like at a much lower mm-hmm. level. Yeah, it's oh. very nice. And does your system have zoning? Mine does not. I have single zone for my house. I have about a 2,700 square foot house, one zone. Yeah, yeah. So we're looking at, because we've got, you know, the old gas furnace, we have an air conditioner compressor outside. So what I'll probably do is put in a split system heat pump for upstairs and downstairs, and and that'll be cool. And and at the same time, I'll be putting the solar on the roof. So kind of major, major renovation. That makes sense. So what about swimming pools? Any thoughts on that? (laughs) Well, I don't have one. I don't have a ton of experience. You and I were talking in the break about one of our friends that has a swimming pool, and he just went ahead and got a huge heat pump, you said, to basically he has photovoltaics, solar power, and he's powering his heat pump with that, and that's heating his pool. So you can technically, I guess, heat your pool with electricity. I think solar hot water systems are probably the most efficient thing to do for a pool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, probably for now. And one of the amazing things that you and I have observed is that the costs for PV keep coming down so fast, and they're still continuing to come down. So where you might have wanted to heat your water with thermal, it starts making sense to heat it with PV. And I think you know our friend might have been kind of ahead of the curve on putting this big monster heat pump heater in for his pool, but in five years, that might kind of be standard. Yeah, I have to do the math on that. I'm really intrigued by that. The other thing that I did is when you move into a new house. It, it kind of makes sense, though. Yeah, sorry to interrupt okay. you, but I mean, it kind of makes sense because now it's cheaper to have an electric vehicle than the alternative, yeah. the internal combustion engine. And I'm a nut about electric vehicles now. I bought an electric vehicle in 2013. I have over 100,000 miles on it. I just plug it in at home like my iPhone. I think you have one, yeah. too, Barry. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And the math works there. So... Heating pool water with electricity, I wouldn't be surprised if the math doesn't work now because the costs have come down so much. Yeah, I mean, you and I have been involved with Calcia and now Calsa for years and years and years, and, and there was just so much work that was done for solar thermal. And now in, in California, you kind of look at domestic hot water for solar thermal versus what you're just experiencing with a heat pump hot water heater. The heat pump hot water heater with PV kind of blows the doors off the economics of an old-fashioned solar thermal system, which is what I studied in college. That was my original career. But it's just become obsolete. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, the photovoltaic technology is so reliable now that the warranties are 25, 30 years and proven that they last that long. Where solar thermal, I don't know if all the solar thermal systems last that long, but I think the pool, the pool ones today are, are very solid yeah. from my understanding yeah. and last long. Yeah. I'm a mechanical engineer. I love moving parts and stuff, but when you have pumps and controllers and valves and stuff like that, it goes haywire every once in a while and, and PV system, boy, you got to replace an inverter every 15 years or so. But other than that, the solar panels are, are really solid. Yeah. But one of the things, a friend of mine, Tom Hoff, who I was actually started a company with, now called Clean Power Research. Yeah, he's up in Napa. He's up in Napa. He's an expert, PhD from Stanford, and has incredible research on all of these topics. And he has an all-electric home, of course, and it's powered with PV. And he has actually a nice little video that talks about it. It just takes two kilowatts of PV. So if the average solar system size is seven kilowatts... It's probably seven kilowatts in California. Yeah, so if you add two to that... So if you go from seven to nine, that's enough to power a car, an EV, for 10,000 miles a year. Yeah. So it's not a huge leap. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not talking about like tripling your system to power yeah. the electric like, vehicle. That, that's like six or seven more panels. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's very exciting. Yeah. And it's kind of what we recommend customers are saying, hey, I'm thinking about an EV, and then, you know, get seven or eight more panels. And then, then they also get to change to the EV rate, which also is pretty favorable if you've got a good-sized solar system. Right. And then you just go from there. So it's two kilowatts for the EV. Then how much more for heating your house with electricity? I don't know. I'm hoping you're going to tell me. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> like, I think it's like one and a half or something oh, like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. And then it's like a half for your stovetop. And then it's like a, you know, like well, on like that. And before you know it, I mean, for you don't have to double the size of your system to go all electric and that includes transportation. And we've done a lot, too, just in terms of putting in LED lights. I'm kind of a crazy about that and making sure that every single light bulb in my house, even ones I hardly ever use, are, are LED lights. And I, I even went to the extreme of ordering these special GE light bulbs that they don't even sell in California. I had them shipped to Chicago, and my daughter bring them in. They're called light sticks, bright sticks. They don't sell them in California anymore. I don't know why. They're the easiest thing to Interesting. Okay. I'm really glad you mentioned that because the first thing that homeowners need to do is reduce their energy with energy efficiency. And LEDs is probably the smartest thing you can do. I just did the math before coming in today. You know that the payback, the simple payback is less than three months for an LED versus a conventional. You pay, you pay like eight bucks for a light bulb, LED light bulb. You only pay a dollar for an incandescent. You can't even buy the incandescents You anymore. can't even buy them. I know. I went into Home Depot. You can't even buy them. But anyways, let's say you could. It's eight bucks, so it costs a lot more. But the savings per year, it's less than three months payback to make that eight bucks back. Yeah. And then you're, you're writing, you know, it's... Payback. It's and, all it's all great. And if you look at the label yeah. on the outside of the bulb, they all last twenty two point three years. Is that right? Is it twenty two point three? That's pretty funny. Okay, that's very precise. <laughs> well, it's just because I'm looking at all the labels and I'm like, why is that? And then in terms of saving energy, the other thing we're doing is I, I moved into the house. Stuff starts breaking right away. The pool pump's making a racket, and I put in a new pool pump, and it's like, all right, do I go with the, the cheapest one or a variable speed pool pump? And I put the variable speed pool pump in because I said it was a good thing to do. It's like 1500 to $1,600. And it's so quiet that I can run it at night from 11 to, you know, I run it at midnight, and it doesn't keep anybody up. And now I'm running it at $0.13 cents a kilowatt hour instead of 
48 in the middle of the day. Now, if you have solar thermal and you're heating your pool with solar, it's a little trickier because you've got to run that pump during the day. But energy efficiency makes such a big difference. Yeah, it really does. You've got to go variable speed on those pool pumps. Yeah. yeah. Have to, have yeah, to. Yeah. You know, you, one of the things you asked me is, like, have I looked at my entire house in the energy usage and the savings and the payback? And I did for you, Barry. <laughs> and because you're the man. So what I calculate is I have a payback of 7.7 years for everything. I'm talking about my three electric vehicles. I have a Tesla, a Bolt, Chevy Bolt. And can I mention these brands? Yeah, sure. Okay. It's okay. And, <laughs> and an Audi e-tron. Oh. And to power those three, my house, all electric, it's a 7.7-year payback. It means in less than eight years, I'll have paid for all of that equipment. And then I just have free energy, I mean, for the next 20 years. So even if I get a new EV and I bring it in and substitute for my old EV, it's like coming with infinite Fuel, like yeah. free, paid for. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of it takes us full circle to what we're talking about. There's the altruistic benefits of reducing greenhouse gas and things like that. But our experience in the solar industry is when the economics are favorable, it just people just do it because it makes sense. That's exactly right. And I think that's what's driving all of these at the now we're going back to the big picture, which is all of this legislation, why why the governor of California signed into law by 2045, we have to be 100% renewable electricity in the state of California, and there's 14 other states that are they're following that. It's because we've had this incredible technological change and incredible and driving not only with the technology getting better, but the costs getting down yeah. to where it makes sense. Yep. So we have a pathway now. Yeah, and that's fantastic. And that's also all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. So thanks, Howard, for joining us. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. 